I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Terrestrial Podcast, your one-stop shop for the outstanding, the unconventional, and the downright strange. Strap in, because the boys are about to take a wild ride. I'm Funk Master B, setting up that tea for the duo of gum foolery. Your hosts, Dan and Lee. Of course I believe in aliens. I mean, in an infinitely growing universe, why would we be the only living species? Bigfoot, messy, all that stuff. It's got to be real. How are we to say that we're the only ones? It's just ignorant. I think aliens are not only from other planets, but they're time travelers. Welcome back to Beyond Terrestrial. Thank you for joining us again on this special episode of Beyond Terrestrial. Dan, we're talking again and finishing the story of Mr. I don't know if I want to call him Mr. Um, of Paul Reed Jr., the motherfucker that he is. Yeah, yeah, 100%. (laughs) He is, he's also known as the fast food killer terrorized Nashville and Middle Tennessee in 1997. Um, Lee, what do you remember from the last show? Tell us what, what you remember about that. Recap it for the listeners. All right. Quick 30 second recap. Um, Paul Reed Jr. Kind of messed up in the head. Got an effed up here ear as well. Um, he did some like things that were called naughty, but it was really mostly attempted murder. Uh, in one case, he tries to light his grandmother's bed on fire while grandma is in the bed and kills her dog. Um, then moving forward, he beats his wife. Um, he ends up going to jail for theft in jail, tells other inmates that he, uh, is going to kill the next people he steals from because he The key is to leave no witnesses. Flash forward to his first official murder, and he kills two people. A man of only 25 years old with three kids and a beautiful wife at home, 
and a young lady just trying to get enough money to buy herself a new car at the tender age of 16. And now we come to the next chapter in Paul Reed, or as I like to say it, this motherfucker's life. Right. So Paul Reed Jr. Uh, was trying to be a country singer. He called himself Justin Parks when he was country singing in his white hat and mustache, trying to look like Garth Brooks and shit. Uh, um, but he wasn't good. <laughs> I apologize. I did miss a step. He is tone deaf. Yeah, right. I mean, he's got a messed up ear. Um, so he was working at a Nashville Shoney's to make money because he wasn't a very good singer. <laughs> and um, on February 27th, 1997, Paul Reed Jr., who had been a problem child, who had gone to prison for multiple strong arm robberies, who was a liar, who was a great big asshole, uh, got fired from his job at that Shoney's. Yes. So well-deserved firing. Yes, he lost his temper and threw a plate like a frisbee at a female coworker and pegged her square in the chest. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dan. Like, that, that is something as, people get fired for. For as fucked up as that is, that scene would be hilarious to watch. Yeah. Evidently, this lady was a lot. I mean, Paul Reed Jr. was over six feet tall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He had prison muscles. Um, and this poor little waitress just got taken out by a Shoney's plate. So. So just to, to just to establish, if if you didn't hear the first episode, please go back and listen to the first episode. You get a lot more information. However, this young man I mentioned kind of messed up in the head, but he was most likely developmentally disabled. So not only did he have uh, um, prison muscles, it's possible he may have had uh, other things going on as well. Right. Oh, yeah. I I get where you're going with that, and I'm not going to say it. I'm not saying it either, but Good. I just wanted to point. Um, so this is like 11 days after he commits these murders at Captain D's with uh, Steve Hampton and Sarah Jackson. So, and these are, like you said, the first official murders on his record. Yes. Um, there may be more. He went on a crime spree in Houston, Texas as a youth, and they think maybe he did some other things, but we'll talk about that later. Um, so during that Captain D's robbery, a person driving by thought they saw someone in a Shoney's apron at the Captain D's exiting the store at the time of the murders. So naturally the police followed up this lead. They went and looked at Shoney's employees, ran their names through FBI databases to see if they were possible suspects. And Paul Reed Jr. was included in this search and they didn't, they didn't hit on his name. This guy who had been a felon in Texas 
committed multiple strong arm robberies. And, and this is so I'm sorry. This is a classic example. Uh, and, and we've talked about similar situations of the system just failing to, I guess, communicate with one another. Right. Well, here's here's part of what happened. Lee, Paul Reed Jr. was not very smart. But he did some things in a very cagey and shady way that helped keep his identity undercover. Unbeknownst to investigators following up the Shoney's lead, Paul Reed Jr. had falsified his birth certificate and his Tennessee driver's license because his birthday did not match on his Tennessee license. He did not come up in the database search. Um, he was still on parole. He was on parole in Texas, mm-hmm. um, but he only had to check in once a year, and he could live anywhere he wanted. So he should have come up, but I feel like regardless, like I feel like there should be like at least like a human double check, right? Um, well, I mean, I guess this was the '90s, so it probably was all done by humans to a large extent, but. Like, no, no, they would have had computers in the, for all this. Yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah. But they wouldn't have like the AI algorithms that we would have now. Like yeah. right now, you could run it through and it'd be like, uh, you know. Hey, there's something funky here. Like Somebody se- needs to come back 70% and look at this. 70% of this information matches. Yeah. Um, you know, you could get a probability mm-hmm. and you could be like, okay, well, let's just look at these top choices. Mm-hmm. Back then, it'd be like, oh, you know, the search results didn't match. So, your SOL. Okay. Where was Google when you need it? I know. I know. It sucks, man. And they released composite sketches, uh, who they thought it might be, you know, suspect of interest. The people who had worked there the night before had someone come in late, you know. Um, Well, we'll we'll get to those in a second. Let's talk about his next grisly crime. March 23rd, 1997. Paul Reed Jr.'s lost his job. Um, he needs money. You know, he, he was in financial straits before when he knocked over the Captain D's. Now, he doesn't have a job. You know what? I think the best idea is to, you know, make money the easy way. Like, quick and easy. Quick and easy. Yeah. That's... And that's what he told everyone. It's so easy. Just knock over a restaurant. Um, this, the, his next target was a McDonald's in Hermitage. Hermitage is just a little ways down the road from Donaldson. Um, the McDonald's on Lebanon Road. At, that's that's the way uh, Tennesseans would pronounce that. Lebanon. Lebanon. Yeah. yeah it, it looks like Lebanon, but yeah, that's not how Tennesseans say it. <laughs> You know, I uh, I did, Lebanon. I did a job in uh, Lafayette, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. It's up here in northern Tennessee, but the Tennesseans they call it Lafayette. <laughs> oh, you know what? You want to discuss? You want to discuss Nolans or? Um, oh, dude, yeah. Don't get started on Mississippi <laughs> <laughs> or, or even Louisville. Louisville. 
<laughs> you know, how many, you know how many times I'll be like at a fast food restaurant in Mississippi, and I'm just sitting there like, um, fries? <laughs> like, what did you just say? <laughs> I think I'll take a Coke, and they're like, uh, no. Y'all want sweet tea with that? We got sweet tea. We got Pepsi. We got better. <laughs> no, you're going way too fast for Mississippi, son. Way oh, too oh, fast. Oh, sorry, my bad. My bad. <laughs> this is this is the South, not an auction. I um, apologize. So, so yeah this this place was only a couple miles from the Captain D's that he knocked over. Well, it sounds like he's following. There, there's there's a main stretch basically, which is Lebanon Pike, mm-hmm. um, or Lebanon Road, and it just kind of runs uh, quite a ways. So yeah. So, and it's a, you know, it's a nicer part of town. So there you go. Um, Just after 11 p.m. on March the 23rd, four employees were closing the restaurant. Ronald Santiago was a Puerto Rican gentleman. He was the manager on duty. He came to the mainland to uh, earn a better living. Uh, He was 27 years old. He also was not scheduled to work that night. He took a shift for another manager who went home sick. So, yeah. Um, no good deed. Like, I, I'm sorry. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh. um, and, you know, this this poor lady um, dealt with a lot of survivor's guilt after oh, I'm um, sure. this sort of thing. I'm but sure. It, but again, it's not her fault, you know? The, N- none of it is. It's all Paul's. Yeah. You know, it this this asshole turned a normal day into the worst day of dozens and dozens of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you're talking thirty employees, right? And he did it multiple times. Yeah. Um, and he's a big giant piece of shit. So, <laughs> uh, continuing on, um. He, he, like I said, he wasn't scheduled to work that night. Um, he was joined by Robert Sewell, 23, who was working on training a new employee, a one Jose Gonzalez, an undocumented Mexican who did not speak uh, hardly any English. Um, but uh, Ronald Santiago, being Puerto Rican descent, um, would translate for him, and they were, he was a hard worker. And, uh, seemed to be an okay guy. Um, and it's one of those things where in the ultimately they're coming to try to have a better life. You know, yeah, I like, mean, you can't blame someone for that. You can't so, blame them for that. Maybe the way they went about it might not be legal, but you can't blame them for right, it. Right, right. Wanting- um, there, there were some rumors that after this, McDonald's had to do some damage control concerning his uh, legal working status. So, but that's that's uh you know probably corporate classified stuff they don't go into um which was odd i couldn't find out um i don't think it was in the book how much uh paul reed got away with in this mcdonald's robbery it would say about the other robberies how much do you think he got in that first captain d's robbery where he murdered two people so what 1997 1997 on a Sunday. On a Sunday. Sunday morning. Before the store opened. Eight to ten grand, maybe. 
Maybe. Yeah, you are pretty close, except it's less. Is like seventy four hundred. So not a lot of money to kill two people for. No. I mean, in 1997, I mean, it's a little more money than it is today, but it's still not a lot of money. No, no. Um, so, yeah, I think McDonald's just because of a lot of things that surrounded this case uh, kept there's a little closer to the vest. But and it's a bigger company, too. So they are better at that sort of thing. Um, and the last employee, the fourth employee uh, was a young girl named Andrea Brown, 17 years old. She was attending a magnet school in Nashville for advanced high schoolers. Um, so she was uh, part of the gifted and talented sort of set of Nashville students. Um, as the employees left, a man approached Ronald and forced him to call the employees together. At gunpoint, he forced the employees back inside. The man, later identified as Paul Reed Jr., made Ronald Santiago open the safe. Ronald told Jose in Spanish that everything would be okay. They were just going to give him the money and the man would leave. Reed collected his haul, including the security tapes, and forced the employees to lie down in a dry storage area in the back of the restaurant. And I think you can see where this is going, Lee. Mm-hmm. He shot Ronald, Robert, and Andrea, Andrea, in the back of the head. Um, and then he turned the gun to Jose, and it didn't work. Click, click, click. He was out? Um, not sure. Um, not sure what happened. You know, Jose didn't know what happened. Um, so he was like, he just watched three people executed in front of him. Uh, when he heard the gun click, there was a pause. Paul seemed to be backing away. So he stood up, he got up to run and he ran into Paul Reed Jr. And he was trying to push the man back. He was hoping he was going to escape. He's like, I'm going to push past him. I'm going to run out. His hopes were dashed by 17 stab wounds to the head, shoulders, back, arms. Jose went limp. He was still alive, and he stopped struggling in hopes that Paul would stop stabbing him if he thought he was dead. And it worked. Paul Reed Jr. did stop. And he left with the cash and the security tapes and the hopes and dreams of a number of families. So, big asshole. But he made a mistake. He didn't check on Jose. He left Jose alive. Jose had been instructed by Ronald Santiago on the use of 911. Um, he was new to the country. He didn't know a lot. Santiago spoke Spanish. He said, if there's any problems, you dial 911. Jose was able to crawl to the phone, pick it up, covered in blood, and dial a 911 operator. Um, but here's the rub, Lee. 
He didn't speak any English. And at the time, this is 1997. They couldn't trace the call. No, they could trace the call, luckily. Okay. Luckily, it was a landline phone. they didn't phone. have built-in translators. They didn't have a translator. So he's asking for help, um, and they don't they don't know what to do. Um, so uh, also, uh, this is another little detail in the book. Um, you know, he's trying to talk to this 911 operator for her, I don't know how long. Uh, they, I'm sure the call is part of the public record, so mm-hmm. you could look that up. Um, but he hung up the phone and actually tried to call his family in Mexico. Oh. Yeah. So He thought he was going to die. Yeah, 100%. Oh. So luckily, like we said, the police, uh, the 911 dispatchers were able to trace that call. Yes. And they sent some cops out. And they arrived on the scene, which was, you know, a bloody mess. Mm-hmm. You know, here's this here's this kid stabbed multiple times. Um, one of one of his defensive wounds, um, you know, being stabbed in the head and neck and uh, torso. Uh, some of it, some of these stab wounds to the torso were so deep the knife came out the front um, from the back. From the back, yeah. Oh. Uh, Jose was a smaller guy. He was like, you know, less than 150 pounds. Paul Reed Jr. is over six feet tall, over 200 pounds, very muscular. So, I mean, he drove that knife right through this poor kid. Um, but uh, he, he survived. One of his defensive wounds almost lost him a finger. It was just hanging by the skin. Uh-huh. Um, they were able to reattach it and they were able to sew him back up. And they were able, the EMTs were able to save, and the doctors at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center were mm-hmm. able to save his life. So, um, sadly, Robert Sewell and Ronald Santiago were beyond medical attention. They were already passed away. Um, Andrea Brown was still breathing when medical personnel arrived, despite getting a double tap to the head. So she she was taken to the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Um, but, you know, being shot in the head not didn't work out. She, um, you know, she was a gifted, hardworking girl. She had the world of head of, ahead of her. Um, but before she left this world, she saved other people's lives by becoming an organ donor. So props to her and her family. That's something, guys, if you guys haven't done that, it's so easy. You go into the mm-hmm. DMV, you tell them you want to be an organ donor. Absolutely. Right? Do it. Like, and it's you not don't, worth it. And you don't have to give up your personality or, or your... I've had people say, oh, well, they just take parts of you and... Yeah, they take parts of you and save people's lives. Yeah, totally You don't have it. to give skin or eyes or anything like that. You can the vital organs that keep people alive is what's important. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh it's definitely something and I know some people have like religious uh you know a opposition to it. So whatever, if that's your belief, that's your belief. But for anyone else, go do it. Just sign the paperwork, you know. So you if you're dead, you don't really need your heart or your lungs or your kidneys or your liver. Like just give them up. Someone else can use them. 
So, um, like we said, Robert Robert Sewell and Ronald Santiago, uh, there was no help for them. Uh, Robert's little sister later on would continue to drive his pickup truck, try and remember him. And Ronald Santiago had asked his brother uh, to bring a blue suit that he liked to Nashville on his next visit so that they could wear it when they went out. Uh, he was buried in Puerto Rico in his brother's blue suit. So this is this is the kind of shit that uh, a lot of folks don't talk about, right? Because yeah. it sucks. It really oh, dude, fucking it sucks. sucks. Um, and in this book, uh, When Nashville Bled by Judith Yates that we're using for our research, um, she she goes into it all, man. She talks about their funerals like fucking I was crying reading this shit. Because it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. And uh, it really drives home what a giant asshole Paul Reed Jr. was. Yeah. And anybody, like, it's not just Paul Reed Jr. Pretty much anybody that would take the life of another person without just cause. Right. Is a giant asshole. Yeah. But we're talking about Paul Reed Jr., so he's a motherfucker. Yeah. And you know what? Like... For the money at a fast food restaurant? Like, money? Did you know that you can buy a ski mask for, like, $4? What? Yeah. (laughs) Like, four bucks. (laughs) Hide your identity? Yeah. Or a Halloween mask? Yeah. You might spend $19.97, 10 bucks on a Halloween mask. Yeah, you could go. You could go down to the store, get you a William Shatner mask, paint it white. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Oh wow. Yeah, I mean, the the guy's already tall. He could have pulled off the shape if he wanted to. You get some oh, some coveralls. Do you know if that showed up? If oh, Dan, if Mike Myers showed up at like a restaurant or something that I was working at. And was robbing me, I would literally shit my pants. Like I would <laughs> yeah, dude. literally shit my yeah. pants. <laughs> like, but see, here's the thing: he's Paul Reed Jr.'s cagey. He's been to prison. He knows a little bit about uh, criminality, but he's also stupid. Yeah, <laughs> he's the worst combination of a lying criminal asshole and stupid. That just somehow works out. It's like what I like to call myself about, like, my computers, right? I am (laughs) just knowledgeable enough in computers to be dangerous, right? (laughs) And what I mean by that is I know how to get into, like, the little systems on my computer and just fuck the shit up so I have to have a professional help me fix it. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. He is just good enough at being a criminal and just smart enough to be extra dangerous as a criminal right well and here's another example of this uh the fast food killer used a different gun in this mcdonald's robbery he used a 25 caliber weapon instead of the 32 so that makes it a little bit different that might throw someone off um but not not the national detectives who are working on this case
Good evening, ma'am. Hey, y'all. What can I do you for? Can I have a glass of Chardonnay? I'm sorry, darling. We don't serve that here. Any Merlot? I'm pretty sure you don't want these feet going nowhere near them grapes. Alrighty, how about a craft beer? Oh yeah, we got plenty of craft beer. Which one you want? No, not craft beer. Craft beer. Oh, no, hell no. I'm, I'm pretty sure the bar down the street serves that. Okay, well, what do you serve? I'm glad you asked. Welcome to the Backwoods Barcast. We serve up moonshine, cheap beer, bottom shelf liquor, and stories even harder to swallow. Join Nick and Brittany and the janitor Stephen as we discuss southeastern mysteries and mayhem, including but not limited to UFOs, true crime, the paranormal, and much more. So knock four times, grab a stool, let the bar talk commence, and as always, drink more beer. So now, now you've had two terrible murders um, that that are in the news. Um, that happened just miles apart from each other in a nicer part of town. Um, this, These robberies, these execution-style murders, they had Nashville fast food workers on edge. Uh, many of them, like, walked off the job. Um, you know, restaurant employees put special stickers in the back of their windows, like, in the back window of their car, so that when they were parked at the restaurant at night, any cars that were like for customers or might be suspicious would be easily identified by cops. Um, patrols around the restaurants were increased. Um, they had cops putting in all kinds of overtime trying to find this dude. Um, that, and people were scared. People in the city were scared. Um, you can imagine, Lee, if a couple restaurants or you know imagine if it was like a couple retail stores you know like the walmart in this town gets knocked over and you know a couple days later it's another store Mm -hmm. how how crazy would your bosses be about making sure you guys didn't get robbed i would love to say that i would have faith that something good would be done like i don't know like we're gonna close until this is figured out or something like that but no right right. well i mean and what are they gonna do like the best they could probably do is hire private security yeah that would probably be the best that they could do um and hiring private security on uh less than thirty thousand dollars a day in sales it's hard to maintain. Yep. Might get one security guard. Right. Like, <laughs> Who, who's just there like at night, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's tough, man. Um, but the, the, the detectives working on Paul Reed Jr.'s case, you know, despite using different weapons, despite slight differences, uh, you know, one was in the morning, one was at night, um, it was pretty obvious that these crimes were committed by the same person. So a lot of these detectives, they would take holidays off. They would work weekends. They were grinding on this case, but Paul Reed Jr. just kept eluding them. Jose Gonzalez saw Paul Reed Jr. He got very up close with him. 
composite sketches came out, um, people said, hey, that kind of looks like Paul. But, oh, he's such a nice guy. He'd never do that. I'm actually mad at the inmates, too. Like, I feel like even inmates <laughs> at, like, a prison w- would be like, yo, um, that kind of looks like Paul. Like, right. I mean, they were in Texas, though. So That's true. That's true. Yeah. But, yeah. So, Paul Reed Jr., he had he had a few girlfriends. He had some lady friends somewhere down in Texas. Um, uh, he used some of the proceeds from these robberies to fly up a girlfriend. Yeah, so he could hang out with her in Nashville and take her around and see the sights. He also had a girlfriend just north of Nashville here in Clarksville, Tennessee, Lee. Good old Clarksville. Yes, Clarksville is a military town. It is home to Austin P University, and it is the birthplace of the Beyond Terrestrial podcast. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. And in the late 90s, it was home to two young women, uh, Angie Holmes and Michelle Mace. The two worked at Baskin Robbins on Wilma Rudolph Boulevard, um, which uh, still stands. Yeah. So it's still there. Um, I believe, Lee, you said it had been remodeled recently. Yeah. Um, looks like uh, Dunkin' Donuts bought them out and then... Um, uh, they are still Baskin Robbins, but they also have Duncan attached. Dude, so. I, I love Duncan coffee, man. Yeah. See, this is <laughs> when you talk about this is why we got into the subject of fast food killer is because we are such fat asses and we thought it would be great. We're like, oh, yes, McDonald's, <laughs> Baskin Robbins. We and, love it. And then we then we realized the teenagers that this motherfucker's killing. Right, right. And, and I don't even care. This is an extra episode. I'm going to curse as much as I want. Like, yeah, oh, there you go. At this guy. Uh, <laughs> right, and the thing is, Lee, like, we've both worked a cash register, uh-huh. right? Um, and you've had people come through your line who you're like, oh, shit, I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know about this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, sh- oh, I, got, I got trained for a little bit in, uh, like, loss prevention. Mm-hmm. Never again. I don't want to do that ever. Yeah. Um, because like you never know when someone who's trying to shoplift and run out the doors could, you know, pull a knife and try and stab you for a handful of DVDs or some dumb shit. It's crazy what people are willing to do for so little. It's one thing, in my opinion, if you see somebody trying to steal a loaf of bread, right, or steal food for their family, right? Okay, I get it. I absolutely get it. And in fact, I'm not going to put like I'm going to do my best to help that person out. Um, and I'm even going to be much more understanding if I see them pull an, or if they pull a knife in an attempt to escape over a loaf of bread than a pile of DVDs. Right. You'd be surprised. Um, like when it comes to groceries, people don't you if they're going to do like uh, a th- grocery theft it's usually going to be like a walkout with the cart yeah um or <laughs> or it's going to be stuff the meat in the pants <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like i got a pack of steaks and i'm putting them in my waistband 
Yeah, no, that that's yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember I worked at Walmart for a while as well, for quite a while. I know it. I know it. And it's you hear some crazy stories. I got in good with some of the loss prevention people, and uh, in fact, I got in good with a loss prevention person. Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, some of the stories are crazy. Some of the stories are crazy. Yeah, dude, watch out, watch out. They they don't sell that meat after it's been put in somebody's pants, though. Luckily. That goes that goes straight to uh, the uh, Tiger King Zoo. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, so. I saw Tiger. Yeah, Tiger saw man. <laughs> <laughs> so back in uh, 1997, Lee, this is a few years back, uh, Wilma Rudolph Boulevard was not as populated as it is today with businesses. Um, in fact, it was pretty wide open. Um, there were lots of empty lots out there still. There was open space surrounding that Baskin Robbins. And Paul Reed Jr. pulled up to the ice cream shop on April 23rd, 1997 in a brand new car. He had just leased with blood money. Awesome. Now, I, it was I wanna... red. It was also red. <laughs> I w- I do want to point out that that hearing that there was space around that Baskin Robbins is almost hard to comprehend looking at where it is now and Dan you've seen it um yeah mm-hmm. and it is absolutely it has the smallest parking lot I've ever seen and <laughs> Dude, um I went there for coffee the line was all the way out to the road man yeah no um, it's a busy business it's not mm-hmm. like uh, yeah it's not unsuccessful, but it has like the smallest parking lot I've ever seen. It has like seven or eight parking spots and then the drive through line and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of restaurants and gas stations, strip malls out there now. I mean, there's all kinds of yeah. stuff now. Lawyers offices are right next to it and all, all sorts of stuff. A lo- oh, a lawyer. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so the evening of April 23rd, 1997, we're around closing time. At this Clarksville Baskin Robbins, Michelle um, was uh, putting away the tubs of ice cream uh, in the freezer for the night. They had the door propped open. Uh, They would use like a dolly or some of the tubs to prop the door open so they could go in and out. Um, And Angie, who was the manager that evening, was out mopping the floor when a tall, muscular dark-haired man with a goofy mustache knocked on the door. Uh, hey, I just want to... Good on Angie. Angie's doing the job that you wouldn't necessarily want to do. She's the manager. She could have asked the other girl to do the tubs, but she's doing it. She's mopping. Yeah, well, and uh, by by all accounts, Angie was uh, very good at her job. She's actually a you know, real smart girl. She was uh, going to Austin P. Um, for nursing, you know, like mm-hmm. she, she was on her game and, uh, kept the store clean. So it was all wiped down. They were wrapping up for the evening. They were getting ready to go home. Uh, Michelle's brother was on his way while well, he was waiting. He was going to come pick them up, pick her up. So mm-hmm. there you go. Um, we don't know how Paul Reed Jr. got into the store. I mean, you would assume Angie would come up and say, hey, we're closed. Mm -hmm. Um, 
somehow he got her to open the door. Maybe, you know, like, hey, I can't hear you. I got a messed up ear. <laughs> right? um, oh. Who knows, man? Who knows? But he got her to open the door. And that's when he pulled the knife on Angie Holmes. Um, he forced them to give up all the money, go to the safe, open it up. Uh, all the money out of the tills, all he left in the tills were the coins. Um, you know, there you go. If I went over to knock over a Baskin Robbins, I would, you know, put my finger in the ice cream or something just to, just to be an asshole. But that's me. <laughs> I feel like if I knocked over a Baskin Robbins, I'd leave with more ice cream than I did money. Yeah, <laughs> by far. <laughs> like, well, this is where Paul Reed's mo takes a bit of a turn. This is where he escalates. This is where it advances again. Because we've seen throughout his criminal career, his escalations. Yes. Um, he escalated his pranks as a kid from stealing little toys and things like that to putting tax in his grandma's food. He escalated as a teen from being mean to his um, friends and uh to his family to sexually molesting, sexually abusing uh, his own family members. Allegedly. Allegedly. They don't talk about it, but that's what they say happened. Um, he escalated as an adult, and he lies at every corner um, to make himself seem more grandiose. So, um, yeah, there we go. So, in this escalation, in this new level... He decided to kidnap these two young girls. Um, I think Angie was in her 20s. Michelle was like 16. This is like a shitty role-playing game, and he's leveling up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, God. Um, he bound their hands with the apron strings from their Baskin-Robbins uniforms. He forced them into his car. They were driven to Dunbar Cave State Park, an area that Paul was familiar with from his trips to Clarksville to see his girlfriend. Um, this is this is like after 10 o'clock at night. Um, it's dark. The park's supposed to be closed, but it sounds like that night a ranger left the gate open. So maybe this was something Paul knew happened from time to time again he, maybe he'd been casing this joint maybe it was just uh, dumb luck so unfortunately i've been to dunbar cave and other than the parking lot when the gates are closed there is no like there's no blockage of a person just going out onto the trails right, right. um so other than the gates being closed and maybe a suspicious vehicle parked in like just the entrance right there he could have like just gone like taken the girls in right um and, and and i'm assuming it was probably less so then than it is now yeah and i've been by the parking lot um it seems like a pretty opened up area but uh this is over 20 years ago so who knows uh probably a little bit different the yeah. trees and landscaping down there at the park than what it is today um so, yeah, he was able to pull right up into the parking lot there at Dunbar Cave. Um, and the, oh, this one's rough. Um, 
the Dunbar Cave State Park was actually the venue for Angie Holmes's wedding. Wow. He's just driven her there, bound in the back seat of his car, uh, with the child safety locks on so they can't get out. Um, and yeah, she's gonna have to fight for her life. Um, he forced the girls down the path near a small lake. Uh, Michelle was walking in front of Angie, it seems like. Um, and it appears from the evidence that was left that at some point Michelle tried to run. Um, there are houses that are not that far away. No, she, yeah, if she could have gotten a good enough distance and he didn't have a gun, she could have gotten to a house. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, but her hands are tied behind her back. So, uh, Angie was found with her throat slit all the way to her spine. Um, her body was floating in the lake. Michelle was found a few hundred feet off the path in some woods. Uh, she had been killed the same way. Her neck cut all the way to the bone. Um, she also had, a. Uh, multiple additional stab wounds to her head and shoulders. Angie Holmes left behind a loving husband and a three-month-old baby girl. Uh, Michelle was 16. She was fun-loving, uh, like liked to party, um, by all accounts was uh, an attractive young lady who had dreams of taking care of her mother and becoming like a famous model. So, again, this asshole just snuffing out people. Why? Because he can. Yeah, because it's not for the $1,500 he got out of the till at Baskin Robbins. Yeah, that was it. That was all the money <laughs> that he got. You don't um, just kill somebody for $1,500. Yeah, it, it was... Um, Unless you like to kill. You know, and here's the thing. Like, why why would you target an ice cream shop? Like, why would you think there's money in there? Well, you, you said it. He's not awful at being a criminal. He is stupid, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see later on in his court case. There was some questions about his um, ability to stand trial, about his competency. So, Well, Dan, I, that's a very sad note, but I do think we need to take a quick break to hear a little bit more from our friends at Fourth Hand. All right. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. And we're back, Lee. Now, Lee, we have just detailed uh, in grisly sad details the 
crimes of Paul Reed Jr., a.k.a. the fast food killer. Um, so now the question is, how did he get caught? Well, we've already kind of mentioned it. Uh, he was dumb. <laughs> um, Paul Reed Jr. was caught because he tried to get his old job back. Weird. Paul went to the home of a one Mitch Roberts, who had been his manager at Shoney's, to ask for his job back June 25th, 1997. So this is just a few months after Baskin Robbins. Mitch couldn't rehire Paul. <laughs> He'd been fired for throwing a plate at a woman. <laughs> no, but see, 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 Mr. Mr. Roberts, like it was a. Uh... It was just a misunderstanding. I thought we were playing catch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were playing frisbee in the back with the plates, which is also something you should be fired for. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it wasn't going to work. Plus, it was a Sunday, and he was at his house. Like, Paul just came up to his house and knocked on the door, asked for his job back. I know you're trying to spend time with your family on the on the day of our Lord, um, but <laughs> hey, um, I was hoping that that the good grace of uh, of God and, and Jesus and uh, or and or Allah or 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 whoever whoever your deity of choice is, um, I was just hoping that the, those good graces would be, would inspire you to pass some good graces on to me and um, and can I please have my job back? Uh, no. <laughs> so the answer was no. Uh, Mitch tried to tell Paul to come into the restaurant the next day. He tried to get him out of the house. He was like, no, 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 whatever. We talk about it later. Um, but Paul was insistent. He told Mitch he had evidence of theft at Shoney's. Bum, bum, bum. He, evidence? Evidence. He told Mitch he should come out to his car. He took Mitch out to the car, popped the trunk. I guess he had some boxes of, like, Shoney's meat or something in there. I don't know. I I think Paul had been stealing from the Shoney's. <laughs> the evidence of what is, of the theft at Shoney's is my theft of Shoney's. Right, right. And he was going to try and pin it on other people or something. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, whatever. Um, so Mitch was uh, Mitch was still not having it. So Paul thought the best way to convince him might be to pull a gun on his old boss. You know, that that always gets me a job. Right. That's the best way. Um, yeah. If you're looking, if any of you guys are looking for work, uh, just take a gun to the next interview. And <laughs> Set it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just say, hey, I'm the shit and you should hire me. I don't think there are any other questions. Next question. <laughs> yes, right. That gets that is 100% what gets people jobs. Um, so luckily Mitch uh, played it cool. He kept Paul talking. He moved away from Paul. He started walking back towards his house. Paul was still arguing with Mitch. He was trying to fight for his job. He's very passionate about Shoney's. He just loved that Shoney's. Um, so he was still arguing when Mitch turned his back and ran into the house. 
So Paul freaks out. He starts slamming into the door. He's trying to break in. Uh, he's yelling. And Mitch has this great idea. He yells for his wife to get a gun. It was a clever ruse. There was no gun. It scared Paul Reed Jr. off. And Paul drove home. And Mitch called the cops. After seeing this violent side of Paul, things started to fall into place in Mitch's head. The police sketches. The Shoney's apron. The deranged ruthlessness. Oh, so so all it took was a Shoney's manager to break this case. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. He called the cops and said, I think Paul Reed Jr. is the fast food killer. <laughs> I say that like, you know, like sarcasm. I, I, I believe that the police were doing everything they could in this case. Oh, yeah, they um, 100% were. Yeah. And, and I'm not, not blaming them for that failure. Um, maybe a couple breakdowns of the system <laughs> when it comes to ma- connecting dots of uh, criminal records. But um, it is kind of funny that a Shoney's manager was the one that was like, aha, aha. <laughs> yeah. So he was busted. Um, but Paul was at home. He he had left. So get this, Lee. Uh, you know how we said he's not smart. Yeah. Right. Uh, The police were at Mitch's house when Paul Reed Jr. called on the phone. He wanted to smooth things over with Mitch. He said, Mitch, I know things got out of hand. I got a little crazy. But I really need my job back. The cops told Mitch to get Paul back to the house. So Mitch invited Paul back. The cojones on this manager, by the way, even with the cops there. like Yeah, I know. Like, Yeah, this guy, this guy tried to pull a gun on me. I was convinced he would kill my family yeah. if he got into the house. And then he would force me to go to Shoney's, give him all the money, and murder me too. But let's get him back. Yeah, why not? <laughs> so the cops are there. Um, well, in his defense, like... the. I'm proud of him. Like I'm, I'm so happy for this guy. This guy saved a lot of people. He, yeah, he pro- really did save the lives of hundreds of people, maybe, maybe more. Um, yeah. Because Paul was not going to stop. Yeah. Props to him. Props to these guys in the Clarksville PD who were like, "Bring him back here, and we're gonna bust his ass." So, Mitch Mitch said, yeah, Paul, come on back. We'll talk about your job. Shit, we'll sit down and crack a beer. Well, we can work this out. Yeah, I know you got a little out of hand. I know you pulled a gun on me. It's okay, buddy. (laughs) Paul had a friend drive him back to Mitch's house where he was swiftly apprehended. Thank God. Yes. Um, So the Clarksville cops talked to the Nashville cops. They said, hey, we think this guy's the fast food killer and he was fingerprinted when he was booked um and paul reed jr had left a trail of evidence that tied him to all of these crimes um he left footprints he left a partial thumbprint on steve hampton's movie rental card from his stolen wallet check this out lee 
He stole the wallet, took the money out, went through the cards, just tossed them out on the road as he was driving. The first cards were found by like a, uh, like some random ass dude walking down the road who was probably like, you know, like a can man sort of guy. Um, and then more cards were found later by like a, uh, you know, one of those chain gang cleanup crews. Mm-hmm. So they had they had a partial thumbprint for Paul Reed Jr. And ta-da, after he was booked, it matched up. They they had had this thumbprint early, but because it was only a partial, they couldn't get any search results, any solid search results. And and also, like you look at it, they are they hadn't made the connection yet to look any farther, um, because of the birth date mix up right right if if they had had a you know an idea to look at a him yeah like they would have made that connection so like much sooner ni- if they had known that 90% of Paul Reed's information matched up with his Texas records mm-hmm. like they would have been able to pull that look at the prints say that's our guy mm-hmm. boom done uh, but nope sadly that was not how these systems worked in 1997 luckily i think we're a lot better off than we were then yes um jose gonzalez was a star witness in this case he had survived paul reed jr's attacks and um on a on a brave move he stood in court and said that's the guy so pinned it right on him um fibers from Paul's car mats, which were store-bought. They were aftermarket. Um, And the upholstery from his car were found on Angie Holmes and Michelle Mace's bodies. Vanity and stupidity. Vanity and stupidity. Oh, God, yes. This guy's loaded with it. (laughs) Um, So I got to get these new fancy car mats for my brand new car. Right, right. And because the car mats were bought from the store... And, you know, you had the car to match it up with. It's it like, minimizes the right. amount of options. It's very unlikely that two people are going to buy the same aftermarket floor mats. Right. So, well, and put them in the same car. Yeah, yes, right. that's the point. Yeah. Um, he could be placed at or near the crime scenes by passersby and receipts. He went to buy gas before he knocked over the Baskin Robbins at a gas station right next to the store. Had the receipt. There's literally two gas stations I can think of. Um, oh, I can't remember. She says in the book, but I didn't write it down in my notes. Um, there, there's a, there's a, um, there's a Shell less than a block away, and then there's literally, I believe it's a Mapco, like the next parking lot over. I want to say maybe it was Mapco, maybe it was Raceway or something like that. I don't know. It might have it might have been different in 1997. Yeah, and gas stations change names all the time, so that would be Yeah. But the building is probably still there. Oh, I'm sure. Um a lot of people in Clarksville when they saw all the police lights out at um out at the Baskin Robbins, they thought someone had knocked over the gas station. Um because who suspects someone of robbing an ice cream shop? Um, That's how he got in. Like, the yeah. girl was like, nobody's going to rob an ice cream shop. Right, like, right. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, and uh, this was part of Paul Reed's advice to other criminals. Clean cut look. Mm-hmm. People don't suspect you. 
mm-hmm. if you look like a normal Joe. Yes. Um, so there you go. Um, Paul, and the thing was after this, uh, after this kidnapping at that Baskin Robbins, you know, Michelle's brother went over to pick her up. There's nobody there. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the doors open, the mop bucket sitting out on the floor, the freezers propped open. Gone. Um, you know, you don't even lock up and make it look like. Well, well, let's be real. Like any intelligent, well, any intelligent criminal would have just burnt the wallets or something of that nature, right? Right, gotten rid of the evidence. Yeah, gotten um, rid of the evidence. Um, in those cases, shit, just put it in the trash can and somewhere and have it taken out to the dump. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, he didn't do that. Um, and. He did take the security tapes, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, this Baskin Robbins, all the families showed up. You know, they're like, the the girls are gone, right? Um, phone calls start being made. And they were hopeful that night that maybe they'd be found, that they were just missing, that something really strange had gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, but their bodies were discovered that morning at the park. So, um uh- and I'm I'm sorry, I can't imagine the guilt that brother probably felt. Like if I had just been waiting in the parking lot, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Instead. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. So much, so much survivor's guilt around all of this. Yeah. Um, and um, like some of these some of these family members uh, during the trial, uh, tr- these trials are very hard on the families uh-huh. um, because the tr- the system of the trial is kind of set up to protect the the uh, person who is accused and their rights right mm-hmm. um and it it grinds on these families like why does he get this why does he get due process when my loved one was just snuffed out yeah um and you know that's that's understandable but that's the that's the system yeah so um Oh, more evidence of his crimes. Blood splatter found on his shoes uh, from the Baskin-Robbins crimes, as well as four jugs, four-gallon jugs, like milk jugs, that contained over $1,000 in coins. Where do you think a person might acquire that kind of coin? Um, Stealing from registers of multiple businesses yeah um so throughout the process of the trial paul reed jr uh didn't say a lot um he never confessed he told all kinds of lies obvious lies um about his life but in the in the end um he was convicted because of this evidence and the juries did not take long to deliberate. Um, you know, I think one jury like slept on it for the night and came back the next morning. Was like, all right, guilty. So he was convicted of seven first degree murders, and he received seven death sentences for his crimes. Um, Paul Reed Jr did not he he chose a lethal injection injection because I, I guess in tennessee you get to choose huh yeah your i think your options are 
lethal injection, or the electric chair. Oh. Which, you know, well, whatever. Um, but I guess, <laughs> I guess, uh, prison officials, uh, give, give guys a bad time if they choose the lethal injection. That's, that's seen as the pansy way out. Ah, you're such a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, you pansy. Re- <laughs> Real men sit down. <laughs> so, whatever. Um, but Paul Reed Jr. never got the needle. Um, they had plans. There was a couple times that he almost did. His execution date came up a couple times. Uh, they even had all the families loaded up on a bus to get them ready to go out to witness the execution when it got put off and they had to turn around. Why so many stays of execution? Um, just different appeals and, um, you know, different governors putting it off. This is this like, is- this is one of those things. Uh, I don't know. I don't know when the last time Tennessee actually executed someone was. I think it was in like the seventies. I feel like, and and and, don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm not like. In this particular case, I almost wish there was just like, a bail, a bailiff right behind him, and as soon as the guilty verdict was, uh, was given, and the seven death sentences was given, he just shot the shot him seven times in the back of the head immediately, like. Yeah, I mean, you would you would think it'd be simple like that. Um, oh no, they've done some executions since then. Um, so they've done some as uh, back in twenty eighteen. Hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, anyways. Um, so yeah, I mean that would be nice. Um, but that's just not how the system works. Like I ha- know he has to have an appeal, blah, 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 blah. This is why I personally am an advocate against the death penalty. I just think it's too expensive. It takes so long. Um, it's, it sucks. Like these guys have to be housed in separate units of the prison, you know, and they get all this weird special treatment. Screw these guys. Mm-hmm. You know? They're assholes. Put them in li- put them in prison for life. That's it. We're done. Go rot. Like mm-hmm. we don't ever want to hear from you again. You can you can go put in your appeals, mm-hmm. but you're gonna die in this hole, and mm-hmm. that's it. See, with the putting in the appeals thing, though, I feel like parole should never be an option. Though, like the appeals is to try to get paroled, right? You're just trying to get. Right. Well, I mean, if you can be sentenced to life without parole, yes, um, which is what he would have gotten in these cases, yeah, um, if they weren't cat, you know, death penalty cases. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just look, the the only other option would be to try and prove that you are like completely innocent and exonerate yourself, because mm-hmm. um, we know sometimes guys end up on death row the- who didn't actually do it you know? yes so that's that's the only thing um because of 
you know, lots of different factors in this country, that sort of thing does happen. So that's part of why I advocate against the death penalty. Um, but I, it's not that these guys don't deserve death. You're rightly like he deserves fucking a double tap to the back of the head. <laughs> he got seven death sentences. He should have been shot seven times lie, in the head. <laughs> lie down on the floor on the cold ground like you made all those other people do. Yeah. And have someone stand over you with a gun. And we're going to shoot you seven times in the back and then shoot you once in the head. <laughs> yeah. Real asshole. That's what he deserved. Um, and honestly, he probably deserved worse than that because he's a giant asshole. But what actually happened was Paul Reed Jr. died on death row in 2013 from pneumonia. There are some who speculate that uh, this pneumonia might have been related to AIDS. Hmm. Um, who knows? That's that's like a rumor that was out there. Of course, uh, prison officials can't comment because of federal health care privacy laws. So HIPAA applies to inmates, too? Yes. Yes, uh, it does. Okay. Yeah, it does. So, what was Paul Reed Jr.'s legacy? Um, it was seven sad, broken families. Um, us, all their circles of friends uh, for these people. who People who felt like they could have done more. People who felt like they should have done something. People who felt like it should have been them instead of uh, mm-hmm. their friends and coworkers and loved ones. And that's a real shitty thing to do to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond beyond the murders, which are grisly and terrible, the psychological torture that all of these other people had to go through is enough to deserve uh, life in prison. Yes. Yes. So... Giant asshole, Paul Reed Jr. Um, why did he commit these crimes? Like, why? Because he was stupid? Because he didn't know how else to get money? Um, because he had a violent, narcissistic streak in him from youth where he didn't care about other people. I, and I think that that's it. I think that he had so much narcissism that he had no care. Like, he did not care about other people at all. Mm-hmm. Everything was about him. Everything was about um, about him getting what he wants. But he was too stupid to realize that crime, if you steal, you're going to eventually get caught somehow. If you murder, they're going to try harder to catch you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so... He was too stupid to realize the risk versus reward, um, and that that's terrible for a narcissist, right? If mm-hmm. for somebody that is 
for somebody that is already so obsessed with their own personal gain and looks and, and all that, right? Um, for them to not be smart enough to understand risk versus reward, it's a completely different scenario. Because I can, I can look at something that I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily care about. Um, and even, you know, many psychopaths do this. And that's why a lot of psychopaths aren't necessarily criminals. Yeah. Well, and, um, you know, talk about Paul Reed Jr. and how dumb he was you know, to not understand this risk reward. Um, he was developmentally delayed as a child. He did have learning problems. Um, there was something wrong with his brain straight up. Um, that's not an excuse for what he did. Um, but he was messed up and they had to have a number of psychologists come in, uh, to try and test his competency before he was tried. Um, it turns out that his IQ is borderline, um, what, what they might've said in 1997 retarded. Um, mm -hmm. he, he's not all there. Um, but clear, he definitely knew the difference between right and wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. And he's such a liar. The pr prison official said this guy is not as dumb as he seems mm -hmm. um, while he was locked up. They're like, he is a faker. He is looking for attention. Mm -hmm. He is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And don't let your guard down around this man. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I think a lot of what he did was a show. Uh -huh. Um, I think he was just such a piece of shit that, oh, yeah. It, yeah, he was dumb. He didn't care. He's one of those people who's so dumb. He doesn't know he's dumb. Exactly. He's exactly. one of those people who believes the lies he tells about himself. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, he, he was, um, a person who deserved a much worse fate than he got, but luckily uh, he's not around anymore. Yeah. It's it's one of those things where he's you're right, too dumb to know he's even he's actually dumb. He thinks he's smart. Yeah, and this is this is a like this is such a dangerous combination. Yes. When you when you look at his early life and you look at his escalation and there was no one who could step in. Well, there were people who who should have stepped in that didn't, but at the same time Yes, there was no one that could step in. There was there was no one. There there was kind of a, a tipping point where you were at the at the limit, but I, I believe that there were some chances in his early life that I heard that if somebody had saw the the warning signs and and gotten him some help, yeah. maybe he wouldn't have turned out the way he was. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's. He was sent to this uh, Catholic boys' school for wayward youth, you know, as a problem child. Um, it didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> um, his high school years, uh, he was on his own. Maybe he needed to be in an environment like that for his for the rest of his youth. Mm -hmm. Maybe he needed to be committed because he was criminally insane uh, after he had committed all these robberies. Mm -hmm. And he was writing paranoid letters about mind control to the governor um he did get prescribed some antipsychotic medication that they said helped at the time but it seems like after he got paroled that just went away yeah um so 
here's a guy who needs antipsychotic drugs to function living out on his own with delusions of grandeur um and a history of robbery when he needs money what's he gonna do he's he's gonna go back to crime so that was it that's what happened luckily this asshole's dead (laughs) yes thank god um and i guess the only other thing to say is a shout out to judith yates and her book when nashville bled where we did a lot of our research here um it was fantastic um it led us to a lot of primary sources uh newspaper articles from Mm -hmm. like the tennessean and all that sort of stuff um it details in excruciating detail what the families of these victims went through um and it is a great memorial to them because they were real people um Mm -hmm. you know we've all worked with good folks at different stores and places like that there's there's good ones um there's people who have hopes and dreams and they're you know working a retail job to move on in their lives and some of them are just good people who work that job and are really good at it um and they don't they don't deserve to get what these seven individuals and and poor jose gonzalez all got um you know violent attacks murder um you gotta hand it to jose like he he was a small guy and he he decided he was going to fight for his life and he did yeah yeah and he did I mean, what he had to do to survive mhm and that's uh, that's what we all got to do you know that's that's our piece of wisdom for today everyone's got to do what they got to do you know sometimes you got to go work a second job make a little money mm-hmm. uh sometimes it's not that glamorous sometimes it's uh you know if you're a teenager you want to buy a car it's good to find out, you know, how to work and earn money. Um, if you're an adult and you want something, you know, go work. There's a lot of jobs out right now in the uh, service sectors, Lee, retail and that sort of thing after the after the Rona. Um, and I know people were hurting financially. The thing to do, probably not <laughs> knock over businesses and murder the employees. Please don't. Yeah, um, I, I'd prefer it if you didn't. Hey, guys, a good rule of thumb I like to keep in mind um, in my retail life is the acronym of AD, which boils down to avoid, deny, and defend. If you are ever in a situation where there is somebody with a gun, the first thing you can try to do is avoid the attacker. Try to put something between yourself and that attacker. Deny them access to you. Get in a locked room, something of that nature. Don't be a hero in those cases. But the last step is defend. If there is no other option, do what Jose did. Defend yourself. Fight back. Yeah, this is tough because the thing that everyone's trained to do is comply. No, that's the first step. I mean, comply. Yeah. Um, And yeah, the guy takes the money and leaves. Okay, there you go. Call the cops. Mm -hmm. Um, You know... This this Baskin Robbins in 1997 that got knocked over didn't have an alarm system. That they didn't think they needed it. It's a small town. Uh, it's an ice cream shop. There's not that much money in there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, who would want to rob an ice cream shop? Um, Somebody that's very stupid. 
you know so so a lot of these business owners um you know the like after the captain d's robbery because shoney's owned captain d's the employees were taken to the shoney's for grief counseling and for a meal the shoney's where paul reed worked as a cook oh my god Oh my god. So so they're trying to do the right thing, but unbeknownst to them, the asshole is in their midst. Oh. Yeah. My um god. Ac- according to the stories, uh, McDonald's uh did take care of Jose Gonzalez um and you know, for try tried to do some damage control about his undocumented status, but this guy fought for his life. Oh, it was his like third day on the job. Third day. He had literally learned how to use nine one one from a guy that was murdered right next to him. Right, yeah. Like just a day before like a day or two before he had to use it himself. What kind of impression do you think that puts in a person's mind? Like <laughs> they have a special number for calling for help and uh. Oh man, three days later. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, oh, know, some kind of. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, this has been an awful story. This has been a sad story. This has been an amazingly stupid story of people's bravery and people's the evil, evil, and and the evil that a, that people can have. Yeah. Um. I am immensely proud of everybody that was involved, except for one person. Um, <laughs> Everyone who took down this asshole, um, props to them. Yes. Um, go go ahead, uh, get this book, When Nashville Bled, Judith mm-hmm. Yates. I got it off Amazon. You can too. Um, re- read it. It's good, the grisly details. Um, grab some tissues. It's rough. Yeah. Dan had me tearing up. He's looking at me over here. I'm about to cry. Yeah. I wish we were on Skype. I could have turned <laughs> off the video. <laughs> it's not a, I just got something in my eye. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. So, guys, um, take care of yourselves. Um, this is going to be our last show together in the Haunted Barn studio. We're going to go back to our long distance recording. But it has been awesome to be up here in Clarksville. We are loving it. Um, and we want to give a special shout out. We took, we split this into two episodes The we ended the first one so we could go to dinner <laughs> and get barbecue. <laughs> um, we got to end this one cause I got to head back home. Um, but it's been awesome. This will, this will give some work to our editor, Mike Roop. Shout out to him and simple equations media, Las Vegas, Nevada for helping us out. You can check them out on Instagram, Facebook, all kinds of places. And as always, you can get to us on beyondterrestrial.com, Facebook, Fourth Hand Media Network. Yes, fourthhand.com slash shows. That's F O R T H. And on Twitter at Beyond T Pod. And at our website, beyondterrestrial.com. I already said that. Did you? Yeah, it was the first thing I said. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> just just to drive it home it's our website and we really want you to visit it please oh hey we have a fan group too um check it out 
Absolutely. You can find that link on Facebook.com. Yes, go to our page on Facebook. You'll see it. We love you all. Keep your feet on the ground and keep looking up for more stories, more strangeness from out there beyond terrestrial. Thank you for listening to Beyond Terrestrial, all three of y'all. If you're still a fan of this show, follow Beyond Terrestrial on social media and join the Beyonders Facebook group for even more strangeness. Links to everything, including previous episodes, are available at beyondterrestrial.com. That's the place to go for stickers, merch, show swag, and our Patreon. Patrons get exclusive access to ad-free shows, giveaways, and the unedited after-show show. Anything you give to the show goes straight to Funk Master B's bachelor pad, which for now is also where these giant turkeys record this show. This show was edited by Simple Equations Media with music by Mike Root. Dan and Lee will be back next Tuesday with more from Beyond Terrestrial. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.